Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Joyful sound to hear God's people singing his praises as we gather together, seeking uh, the peace of the city, seeking uh, to dwell in holiness together. And so we come to confess our sins. Hebrews 4 is our call to confession this morning. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thus far the reading of God's word. We'll look in part of the catechism this morning at the incarnation. And as a result of the incarnation, Jesus Christ can sympathize with our weakness, with our temptations. It's one of the comforts of that doctrine. And not only can he sympathize with us, he does. The point of conviction for us today is this. Do we sympathize with the struggles of our neighbors? So often we are looking out for our own troubles, and maybe all we see in our own children or our spouses is how they aren't measuring up. We are quick to criticize, to condemn others, not noticing the struggle that is going on in them, not sympathizing with them. But our Savior does not break a bruised reed, as it says in Isaiah. He doesn't snuff out a smoldering wick. So let us help the weak wherever we can. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. I encourage you to kneel if you're able, and I will pray a prayer of confession. Let's turn back to Scripture and... Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to take the next two weeks, Lord willing, to conclude our walk through 1 Peter. The first half, half of the chapter, chapter 5 this week, and next week the end. Let's read God's word once again, the first seven verses, 1 Peter 5. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another, and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Well, every Sunday I try to remember 
that, uh, and every preacher should remember this, uh, that we are preaching to ourselves first. Uh, but especially today, I'm really preaching to myself based on the text, right? Peter is telling the, the, the elders to shepherd the flock. Scripture often addresses uh, different types of specific people, children, parents, young people, wives, husbands. And, and when God's word does that, when, when God speaks to children, uh, the adults shouldn't just tune out, but ought to lean in closer because you're, you're going to learn something important about children and about how to treat them, uh, how to help them, what they need. Uh, and the same is true in this text, uh, speaking to pastors and elders. Uh, don't tune out just because you're not a pastor or an elder. Lean in a little bit and learn about us today. Uh, it, God uh, teaches us much here. But beyond that, too, remember that we each have our flocks to shepherd. Parents have children, young people, you have a flock, too. And I'll come back to that later as we apply uh, so uh, the theme this morning is shepherding and stewarding what God gives you with all humility and casting our concern for fruit and for success. We're concerned about that. We want to cast that on the Lord. So let's jump right into verse 1 here. Elders, the elders who are among you. Peter says he's a fellow elder. Uh, what is this elder? Elder is a church office. Peter isn't just talking about older people here. Uh, in Numbers 11, God has Moses appoint elders to help him with the leaders of Israel, uh, as with the leadership of Israel. Uh, so he, Moses appoints 70 men. So it's not just that they were the oldest. Uh, they were the, the, those who could best lead the, the, the people. Uh, same thing in the book of Acts. Paul appoints elders in every church that he goes and plants in every city. That's one of the things that he does as he leaves and goes to the next place, as he leaves a leadership behind. He always plants elders in every church. Peter calls himself an elder here, like them, even though he's an apostle. Right? Uh, Peter saw Jesus suffer and die. He, he saw him right after the resurrection. Uh, Peter saw Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's what Peter's referring to there in verse 2, or end of verse 1, that he's a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, that he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Seems to me there's a kind of a practical leadership lesson there as Peter begins, to, uh, prepares to um, exhort leaders. Uh, he uh, gives them a bit of a leadership lesson in how to do that themselves. Peter identifies with the people that he exhorts. Right? Hey, I'm, a, I'm an elder like you are, which is really kind of coming down to their level because he's one of the 12 apostles, right? But he, he identifies with them. Hey, I'm an elder too. That's, we're in this together. And then he also, something that's less comfortable in our modern age, Peter also reminds them of who he is and, and why they are following him, right? He's seen Jesus. He's seen him transfigured. He's seen him uh, crucified. He's seen him in, in his glory. Peter was close to the Lord Jesus personally. There, there's a reason he, he was an apostle. And so the elders need to listen to, G, to, uh, to Peter in, in this exhortation. So uh, just to bring this down to some brass tacks, which I hope to do a lot today, we have three elders here at Christ Church of Livingston County. You saw us all up standing up here a few weeks back. So keep us in mind uh, even if I'm the only one of the three of us actually physically here today, uh, right? Peter addresses all of the elders. We are set up as a three-office church, which means we see a difference between pastors and elders, 
right? It means in part that elders don't typically preach or administer the sacraments. But it's also true that pastors are elders. So I'm going to refer to myself or to all three of us kind of interchangeably throughout this message. Uh, There are three elders, even if I'm the quote-unquote pastor. Uh, so that's the idea of eldership, uh, as much as we'll give it today. Uh, now, verse 2, what does Peter say? In my New King James I'm using today, there's a colon at the end of verse 1. So that's all preparation for the actual exhortation. What is Peter going to tell the elders to do? Verse 2, first word, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock. This is a really rich image. And you saw it some back in Ezekiel 34. I think I'll just go there a second. In all the rebuke there that God gives to the shepherds, he tells us what shepherds should be doing by telling them, hey, you haven't done this, this, and this. Right? Verse uh, 4, for example. The weak you have not strengthened. You have not healed the sick, bound up the broken, brought back what was driven away, sought what was lost. It's a rich image. Shepherds do a lot of things for the sheep, right? Call them back to the path when they wander. Tend to them when they're hurt. Fight off the wolves that try to attack them. But the main way that shepherds shepherd the sheep is to feed them. And that's what Jesus tells Peter in John 21. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. We're called to feed the flock. And the main way that we do that is with the word. The word of God. Take the sheep to where the food is. That's what leaders are called to do. And this is why in our covenant renewal worship service, we read so much Bible. I've had people point that out to me, people who aren't CREC used to this. And they listen in on the live stream sometimes. And they say, man, you read a lot of scripture in your worship service. It's something that we get used to, but it's something that's really valuable. And that's noticeable to those who don't have... Uh, a background in this kind of service. This is why we read so much Bible, because we're, we're feeding the sheep, not just in the message, not just in the sermon, in the whole worship experience. This, of course, is why I preach from the Bible. I've, to put it very bluntly, I've got nothing else to shepherd you with, and that's as it's supposed to be. I've got nothing else. I do a lot of reading during the week, blogs, internet articles, whatever it is. And I'm tempted some days to take the latest great book or article that I've read, uh, some story I know, and feed you with that. Because I'm really excited. It's really uplifting, encouraging. Hey, people need to know about this. And those things can be good supporting roles, but the word is the food. It's the main course. So shepherding involves feeding. That's one main thing to remember about shepherding. Uh, Verse 2 again, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. Let's consider that phrase a minute. Serve as overseers. That's kind of an employer kind of word, isn't it? You have a supervisor, an overseer. Both of those words in the the Latin or the Greek are pointing to seeing. A supervisor is seeing over. Uh, And the same with an overseer, right? It's right there in English. You see over. Uh, The the original Greek is scope, right? We have a telescope or you have a scope on a gun, right? The point is to see better, right? Uh, So what elders, what shepherds are supposed to be doing is watching over, looking at, being a little above so they can see things well, 
and, and watch the flock. Now, that's an interesting one, also quite politically incorrect in our modern times. So I'm going to say a few awkward things here, just to be a little bit blunt and to kind of press as to what God's word says here. Elders, shepherds, need to be looking you over, <laughs> checking you out, right? Considering your spiritual state. That's part of the job. So as, as church members, we need to get to a place in our head and in our heart where we are okay with being inspected by an earthly authority as to our spiritual condition. Whoa, that's like, what? That, and we need to get to a place, a church place, but we need to get to a church where, where you trust the local leaders to do that. Now, to many, that just sounds absurd, and way out there, like, no way. I think the devil has done an effective job with church scandals in the headlines, with disagreements over various issues in the church, to keep Christians at a distance from church fellowship and church leadership. It's like, no, we'll, we'll handle things ourselves, thanks. But God's word tells shepherds to be overseers of the flock. What does that mean in the detail? You can overdo that, of course, and there's been plenty of church authority that's micromanaging and abusive. You don't want to cross lines there that are set up. But we ought to look after each other. And this isn't just an elder thing, right? God tells Cain right at the beginning, where's, where's your brother Abel? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, you are. Each of us are our brother's keeper. That's part of our membership vows in the church. But elders have a special responsibility to do this. Uh, one way for a pastor or an elder to do this is to visit you at your home. That's something that I've done before, not a whole lot, but it's coming back on my radar. That's something that I'd probably like to do. I might be calling around, asking if I can come over and just ask some basic questions. It's, uh, you can compare it in some ways to a, a doctor, going to the doctor for an, an annual physical checkup. Well, you need an annual spiritual checkup too, maybe. That, that kind of idea. So shepherds are called to be overseers. Uh, that's enough on that phrase. The next phrase is of the flock of God. I lost my place here. Let me get back to 1 Peter 5. The elders who are among you, I exhort, whom a fellow elder, verse 2, sorry, shepherd the flock of God. There it is, the flock of God. Uh, just a brief comment on that. that. This church, every church, is God's flock. Christ's church. It's right in our, in our name right? Christ church. It, the flock is not the flock of the elders or of the pastor. The sheep don't belong to the pastor. Uh, the, the elders are the stewards of the king's sheep. If you go back a couple chapters in First Peter, you find that at the end of chapter 2, it's put very well. Uh, verse two, tw chapter 2, verse 25. You were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd, capital S, and overseer, capital O, of your souls, right? Right there you have it. Jesus is the shepherd. He is the overseer. And elders are called to be shepherds and overseers of God's flock, of Christ's flock. That's why we talk about being under shepherds uh, a lot. That's the role that shepherds, that elders have. So shepherd the flock of God. And now, Peter goes quite quickly into uh, some things not to do, or don't do it this way, do it that way. Don't do it this way, do it that way. Uh, and the point here, I think, is that elders can get it wrong, too. 
Elders get it wrong too. Ezekiel 34 is a drastic example of that, right? God really lays into the, the shepherds of Israel for feeding themselves first. I think one of the worst examples, even worse than that, is in the Gospels. In Matthew 16, uh, verse 21, Jesus is um, predicting that he's going to die in Jerusalem. And here's what, he, what it says, Matthew 16, 21. Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the rulers, scribes, excuse me, and be killed and be raised the third day. The elders of Israel handed Jesus to Rome to crucify out of envy, it says. Elders can get it way wrong. <laughs> so we need to be careful. So what are some ways? Let's look at that in verse 2 further. Serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Uh, in other words, serving out of duty, not really wanting to. That's a good one to start with. And remember, whenever Scripture does this, you know, points out some specifics about a certain role, that usually means that people in that role are tending to want to do those things, right? Or the opposite, I mean. Like, husbands, love your wives. Well, we, we're good at showing respect and admiration to people, but we've got to love our wives. Men typically have a more difficult time showing love to wives. They'll work for them. They'll respect them. You've got to love them. So in the same way, these are things that maybe our, our pastors, elders are typically prone to. So this may seem strange to consider, but shepherding people is like any other job. You have this in your job. There are times you don't want to get out of bed and do this again, right? You don't want to go to that meeting. You don't want to have to talk to that troublesome person again. It's the carnal heart of an elder at work to shy away from conflict, from trouble, from annoyance, or even just from basic work, right? That's what Paul, uh, Peter is getting at here. Uh, Paul Tripp writes about pastors who just crank out sermons from week to week, and their heart really isn't in it because they're burnt out or something's wrong. That's a real thing that happens. It's not helpful for the church. And the church can often sense that it's happening. So don't serve out of duty or compulsion, uh, but willingly. And the next phrase is, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. That's the end of verse 2. Too many pastors take advantage of the lax finances in a small local church. And deacons and elders need to be careful to pay a pastor adequately, but they also need to have boundaries in place so that no one can game the system in any way. That's very important. A good example of that I like is most churches have, make sure to have two people who are counting the offering together, for example, right? Not because we don't trust any, any of those two people uh, necessarily, but it's a protection for them against temptation. Right? It, same thing with a budget, for example. We spend a good deal of time uh, budgeting how to faithfully use the offerings that come in to the church. And we're going to present the budget at our next fellowship meeting. Uh, so you want to make sure that there's no dishonest gain going on. Uh, guard one another. And elders and, and leaders are called to do that for one another. So don't seek dishonest gain, uh, but eagerly. Verse 3, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. 
Yes, not being lords over you. The office of pastor and elder, uh, I think, ought to carry more weight than it does in the world, in the church today. But the men in those offices need to remain examples of humility, not seeking influence, not seeking deference from others. They have to lead by example, right? One commentator puts it this way, Christian leadership without Christian living is impossible. So the pastor's role is more of a coach than a star player. I like that metaphor. I think it's also, as an aside, I think this is true of parents with teenagers too. It becomes the same kind of thing. The pastor's role is more coach than star player. My job is not to wow you with my holiness so that you can kind of be a Christian vicariously through me. Right? It's not like you're watching the sports game and, wow, that guy can really make the touchdowns. Isn't he great? Wish I could do that. No, you're, you're, you're a coach. Uh, I, I'm the coach helping you, equipping you to play, to go out on the field and play well. But the, this commentator goes on, he says, but you ought to aim at being a player coach. Right? You're, just, you're not just on the sidelines as the pastor elder. Don't just tell, show. Right? That, that we see that in Hebrews 13. Um, we're called, when, when uh, the writer of Hebrews exhorts people to uh, remember those who rule over them, one thing he says is, uh, observe their way of life and, and, and follow that. So there, there's an example thing going on there. Uh, how do you treat your wife? How do you treat your kids? Uh, I was talking with someone, one of you, just last night about this. There's a, a great book out there by Doug Wilson called Mother Kirk. It's about the church. And in the back of that, it's, it's mainly meant for elders to learn about governing the church. And in the back of that, there's about 60 questions on uh, for elders and for elders' wives. And boy, the, it, it's really convicting. I'll just give you a little example here. Here's something to ask the wife of an elder. Is any person or thing causing you to compete for the time and affection of your husband so that it has aroused a godly jealousy in you? Ooh. Is your husband still pursuing you? Does he render to you the honor and love you should have as his wife? Number 10, do you find rendering respect to your husband something you must strain to do? Do others respect your husband? It goes on like that for 50 questions. It's really convicting and it's important to make sure that we are being an example for the flock. The bigger picture here is the motivation of a shepherd in all these phrases. Don't do this under compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain. The motivation of a shepherd is in play here. You want a pastor, you want elders who aren't punching the clock because they have to, who aren't looking to make a buck, but who really want to feed you with God's word. That's got to be the desire. Excuse me. Verse 4, moving on, being examples to the flock. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. There's reward for the work, as there is for all work. We're going to hear that well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, this is a very personal verse to me because the Greek word for crown is Stephen. Stephanos. It's the word for crown. And the broader point there for each of us would be that God's reward that he gives to you is going to be personally tailored to you. 
it's not just like you're going to have a few bigger, few more square feet in your mansion. God's reward is going to be personally tailored to you for your work. Well, uh, some thoughts of application on this before we go on to verse 5. Humility and not pride is needed in shepherding. And this is true of parents, of pastors, of each of us individually. As a parent, be in the practice of admitting to your children when you wrong them. That's something that's important. That's something many pastors and parents can't imagine. We often think that we have to present a perfect front. We have to show our people that we've got it together, that we're leading well. And shepherds do need to be courageous and bold, but bluster seldom helps. So uh, humble shepherding is important. Now, how do you uh, apply this as an individual? Maybe you're a high schooler. Uh, Maybe you're single. Uh, Maybe you're college age. And you have a flock to shepherd too. And I grant you this is more metaphorical and, and I'm stretching the application, but I think it's legit. You have a flock of minutes in a day to shepherd. You have a flock of toys and books in your room. You have a flock of websites that you could surf. Right? A flock of items in your kitchen and in your pantry. A flock of thoughts in your mind each day. You need to corral those minutes. Guide those thoughts. Filter those websites. Don't let them guide you. Steward that kitchen well. Again, we all have things to shepherd in our lives that God's given us. And the goal there is to be fruitful and multiply, right? The Old Testament blessing is may your flocks and your herds increase, right? That's the goal. Not to pursue growth like in the church for its own sake necessarily, but we do want to see fruit growing for the Lord. And let me tell you something, just shepherd to church a moment directly. I see fruit in this room. It's easier to see fruit in the lives of others than in yourself often. So we need to encourage each other in these things. I see you raising children faithfully and deliberately and sacrificially. I see you working hard at your jobs. I see you caring for elderly parents. I see you concerned for the direction of the church and the culture at large. This is fruit that is born by the Spirit in your life. As shepherds are called to be overseers, it's not just to uh, bring them along so that they measure up. It's to encourage them and say, hey, yes, that, do that. Yes, that fruit. That's what we're after. Well, two more points of application. I've got a fair bit here on on shepherding. Uh, Here's a more difficult one. Be slow to set yourself up as judges of elders. I see this more and more these days. I see it online a fair bit. There's a, a sophomoric gaining of, of knowledge that leads many to pride. And I've been called out after two comments on a Facebook post. You need to repent. And it's like, okay, I don't know who you are at all. And you don't know what I'm really thinking about this issue. Anyway, there's a lot of that going on these days. First uh, Timothy 5.19 says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. So I don't say this to protect myself. I'm not saying don't ever hold elders to account. They need to be held accountable. The Bereans had to check uh, with Scripture to make sure that if what they were hearing was true, uh, these are all good things. But in our day, we really need to heed this warning. Do not, do not 
hold your news source or your podcast up as the standard for your church elders to conform to. I'm seeing it more and more. We're in a weird time where you probably take in a lot more info online than you do in person. And that can be valuable. There's a lot of good teachers online of higher quality than you'll find in most pulpits. I readily admit that. But it's also a great danger. Shepherds are called to shepherd real people. And it's one thing to apprehend the truth better from a good podcast. It's another thing to be able to apply that wisely to your life. And that can be difficult. And the church is the place to go to find normal life examples of how to live a godly life. A YouTube video or a Facebook meme that makes a snappy point is not going to give you that. You need a real-life example, several of them. Again, Hebrews 13, remember those who rule over you, whose faith follow. Consider the outcome of their conduct. Now, that's again, that's not setting the elders necessarily up on a pedestal all the time. It, it's a, true of the church fellowship, the church body as a whole. So uh, that's, that's the first thing. Second is aspire to be elder material. And here's maybe an unexpected um, application. 1 Timothy 3, 1 says, If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. That's something we don't think about all the time, not very often. If you aspire to desire the position of a bishop, you desire a good work. Aspire to be elder material is the way I would put that. In most CREC churches uh, that I've been involved with, uh, there's one to three men who are elders, and they're elders indefinitely. And the rest don't even think of being at that level. And, and that, I grew up very differently uh, and with um, a church where there's like nine elders, 12 elders, and they're on three-year terms. And every, th every third year, the one went off the board, excuse me, every one year, every year, three go off the board, three new ones are elected back on. It's, is it more, it's a more open pool of elders in the congregation. It's rather interesting. So uh, there's something about that approach that I think we ought to lean toward. Uh, not that we're going to have a yearly election and all that, but, but neither should the eldership be uh, a life sentence, right? W with shame upon you if you step down for a while. Uh, I've seen uh, CREC elders kind of trapped into it, and they didn't feel like they could get out. I think we ought to be more open to consider uh, more of you as elder material. Uh, we ought to aspire to that. Don't be surprised if we come asking. So, uh, like any vocation, parts of eldership are tedious, parts are very rewarding. So, um, aspire to be elder material. I've even taken some books along from my library on eldering, in case you're interested in borrowing today, if you'd like. So uh, that's it as far as the first four verses. Peter calls the, sh the shepherds, the elders, to shepherd the flock. And this needs to be done with humility. And that's where Peter goes next, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. There's an interesting metaphor for you, clothed with humility. Think about that. How much of the day are you not clothed? Not too much, right? You get dressed again right away, almost none of it. How close are your clothes to you? Really close. Humility should be the same way. Have it on all the time. 
And not just something you project out there for others to see. Look how humble I am. No, let it be close to your heart, just like your clothes. Humble in that way. Younger people, uh, be submissive uh, to your elders. And here I think Peter kind of switches the definition. I don't think he just means the elders as far as the office. But he's saying younger people, uh, submit yourselves to the older people. Uh, I think that you could take it either way. But children, defer to your parents. Students, submit to your teachers. If you're 30, then assume that that 50-year-old has some wisdom you can learn from and go ask him some questions. Don't think that you're wiser or better, again, because you've listened to this podcast or read that article, right? There's, a, there's things that we can learn from each other more incarnationally in the church. Mark Twain's got that famous joke. I think I've botched it here, but he says something like, when I was 14, my dad didn't know anything. But when I was 24, I was amazed at how much he had learned. Right? That, that's what we're going after here. Submit yourselves to your elders. Humility to one another. Uh, it's just as wrong, I think, for the older to write off the younger the other way, to assume that the young know nothing because they haven't been around the block as many times. Sometimes those who are older have become apathetic or too pragmatic, and they need the zeal of the young to convict them. We need each other in this to pursue godliness together. Uh, humility. How ready are we to listen to others and respect each other's opinions? Uh, do we want to convey our opinions to the benighted masses around us? Or are we looking to seek wisdom from others? Well, verses 6 and 7, as we uh, come to the home stretch, he quotes here from um, the Proverbs, Proverbs 3, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here's a bit of motivation. If you need some help, <laughs> I really do need to work on being humble because if I don't, God himself is going to oppose me. And the word is quite interesting. He resists the proud. Not like, ah, God's going to push back on you a little bit. Not like that, but, but like God's going to keep you from getting what you want in the end. He is, has a set policy of being opposed to the proud. And that's not going to change. Kind of like, uh, just to go to some geopolitics a minute, it's like what Ukraine is doing against Russia right now. They are insisting on resisting. And Putin decides, he just decides to claim parts of Ukraine for his own. God's going to resist that. That's pride. And Putin may get his way for a time, but God is not going to let that go. Uh, another example that's closer to home, I, which I just love, uh, turn with me to Isaiah 9 once to see a fascinating application. Um, so, soon after September 11, uh, 2001, when the towers fell, a U.S. politician quoted Isaiah 9. Can't get to it here, just a moment. Isaiah 9, verse 10. And just to give away the story at the beginning, he quoted it way out of context. <laughs> Isaiah 9, 10, he quotes. He says, this is what America is saying right now, the day after 9, 11. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. You get the point there? This politician is saying, hey, America's been hurt, but we're going to come back stronger than ever. That's what Isaiah 9.10 says, right? That is what it says. But what does the verse before it say? 
The Lord sent a word against Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. All the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria, who say in pride and arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen down. Unbelievable. This politician quoted verse 10, just left out verse 9. The whole point is you're being proud. So it's not just Vladimir Putin in Russia, America. We, we take pride in our pride, right? So now I know American pride can be an innocent assertion that I'm glad to be an American, that I have no apologies for being an American. I think that's good patriotism. But, but to work to make America great apart from Christ is a fool's errand. That's, that's a tower of Babel, and God's going to resist that such that it falls. So the same is true of your personal life. Uh, don't strive for greatness. Uh, don't uh, seek to be great, to, to give your kids the best, or because of who you are, or because you've been hurt, uh, and you want to show them. Right? There's an old saying, success is the best revenge. Right? No, don't seek revenge at all. Set yourself before God, not before the people who have hurt you. Cast that on the Lord. That's back to verse 7 as we uh, wind up there. Cast your burdens, your cares on the Lord. Uh, it's almost a quote from Psalm 55, which says, cast your burden on the Lord. Uh, or think of Jesus in Matthew 6. He says, don't worry about your life. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Cast your cares on the Lord. Just three things on this and then I'm done. Uh, one, work on your cares. Uh, not that we're unthinking, not that we're ignoring our problems, right? It's not like, I mean, your care is probably legitimate. There's something wrong in your life that you want to get fixed, and you're not quite sure how to get it done. So Peter's not saying, well, just ignore it and pray about it and move on. Well, we should work on our problems, think them through, apply resources and solutions. But some problems remain, and we can't solve them. And then what do we do? We tend to grumble and complain uh, we're starting to read through numbers as a family. There's a lot of Israel grumbling in the wilderness. And for a good reason. We don't have any water. We need water or we're going to be dead in a couple days. Right? But that doesn't warrant grumbling against God, who we trust to provide. So work on your cares as best you can. And keep casting your cares. That's the second one. The, the verb here is casting, as in keep ca kind of like fishing, right? You keep casting out there. You keep going back. My, the way I thought of this this week is that cares, our concerns, are like boomerangs, right? You, you throw it out there, but it tends to come back, right? We have to cast repeatedly, and that might mean five minutes from now. I've got to cast it on the Lord again, right? I think this is why uh, Scripture elsewhere says to pray without ceasing, because the care is going to come right back, probably today yet, probably the same hour. Cast it again. Give it to God again. As we keep doing that repeatedly, it becomes a more of a practice, more that our, something that our soul is trained to do. So keep casting your cares. Work on your cares. And to close with, Jesus cares. That's where Peter ends. Cast your cares on the Lord, for he cares for you. The proud want to be important. They want to be special in the world. But we are important to Jesus. You are. You are special to him.
Uh, years ago, I, uh, we watched through the TV series Downton Abbey. I don't know if you remember it. Uh, <clears throat> interesting series. There was this young girl, uh, an orphan kitchen drudge, who found herself a war widow in there. For a, a brief time, she was married, and then he died. And then the father-in-law came into her life, and, and he does tea with her, and he says, he's got nobody else. That was his only living child. And he says he wants to be in her life as a caring father. And she was resisting this the whole time, like, I, I was only married to him for a couple hours. And then he, then he was dead. That, that kind of thing. But, but she says, well, no, I don't have anyone special like that. I've never been special to anyone before. That's quite a moving scene. But that's, that's what we need to keep in mind. Jesus cares. We are special to him. Kids, you have parents who love you. Spouses, you have marriage partners who are most special to you. Maybe you have a deep friendship that you really care about. Consider that deepest connection you have in life and then think, this is just a pale reflection of how much Jesus cares for me. It's an old song that says, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. That's true. People may care and love, uh, care for us, love us as best they can, but no one has cared for you like Jesus. So people of God, shepherd and steward what God gives you with all humility, casting your concern on the Lord, and he will care for you. He's the great shepherd. He's the one who has uh, cleansed the flock, who has made us his own, and we are called to live faithfully in that flock. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have blessed us with uh, one another in the body of Christ. You have redeemed us into a flock of God's uh, special treasure. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we would be faithful uh, stewards in this flock of what you have given us. You've given us various things, various resources, people uh, to tend and to care for. And we ask, Lord, that you would make us faithful, uh, restore us when we go astray, as Jesus did with Peter. Keep our minds on our motivation uh, to serve the flock, to serve your people willingly for your glory and for fruit for you. Uh, keep us from selfishness, Lord, from impatience, uh, from uh, pursuing our own agendas instead of your kingdom agenda. All this we pray in the name of Jesus, the ever-living Word. And we sing as we talk. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The Lord's table is a place to be fed by our great shepherd, Jesus. And it's a place to cast your cares on the Lord as well. Uh, the family table can be a chaotic time with infants and toddlers around. But as they grow, the table is a place to share your heart with your family. Fathers and mothers should lead in this and then invite their children to contribute. We practice a deeper fellowship at the table. And we get that from this table. 
where the Spirit is joining us with Christ himself. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.